It's time to heed the call of the wild and seek the higher calling. Higher Calling Gulf Coast is the inspirational voice of Gulf Coast fishing and conservation. Hosted by award-winning wildlife journalist, conservationist, and flounder revolutionary, Chester Moore. Be ready for a relentless pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of fishing adventure. Welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. Yes, this is the inaugural episode of Higher Calling Gulf Coast. We've had Higher Calling Wildlife podcasts for a year, but me being a guy that lives on the Gulf Coast and has spent so much of my career writing about and, of course, pursuing fish there, only right that I do a podcast centered on Gulf Coast fishing. And to kick the show off, to kick this entire podcast off, I thought, you know what? I need to do a three-part series on speckled trout because no fish on the Gulf Coast gets people more excited gets more people sometimes even more agitated than big speckled trout. And uh, the only guy I had in consideration for to be the first guest is my good friend Pat Murray. Pat Murray is president of the Coastal Conservation Association, but he's here as a speckled trout fisherman and an author of Pat Murray's No-Nonsense Guide to Coastal Fishing. And recently he released a really awesome book called It's More Than Fishing, and uh, it's the art of trout and redfish angling in Texas. So welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. I love talking to you in general and in about fishing in particular. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that we can definitely uh, sink our teeth into. You know, uh, speckled trout are such an amazing fish, and, and, and there are a lot of ways they're kind of a mysterious fish. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. myths about trout, a lot of misunderstanding. It's kind of like redfish. Um, are something that uh, you can kind of dial in on a little more, in my opinion. But trout seem to always have a little bit of X factor with them, especially when you're pursuing the big ones. Yeah, I I agree completely. It's funny, years ago, a really adept angler um, who uh, also had a particular way of saying things, um, he, he always said, he goes, redfish are dogs. And he said, you can predict them about as well as you can predict anything. He said, and trout are birds. He said they'll just fly away on you, <laughs> and I always, I always like that. I think that's basically what you just said there. I think that's where the, there is something mysterious about trout. There's something, um, and and, and particularly the big trout. Yeah. I mean, there is there's a there's a magic there, and you know there's a lot of cults attached to fish. You know, I mean, think about think about the beloved flounder. We've talked about that before. That thing has this cult like following, but for sure, but the trout and big trout in particular definitely has its you know following of people that are just wildly addicted to it yeah and i think it's that x factor that that, you know that keeps you going you know so uh when you first started fishing and fishing along the gulf coast what was your first encounter with what you would consider a big truck because you and i have spoken before you know a lot of guys on social media they all they've all apparently catch 30 inch trout every trip Uh, You know, they make me feel like I'm a loser, you know. But uh, to me, if you get above 25 inches, that's a good trout, you know. I, I cannot agree with you more. It's so funny. Okay, so, you know, I was a full-time fishing guide um, for a little over seven years uh, on the Galveston Bay Complex and down to East Matagorda. And then I've obviously fished my whole life on either side of that. Um, and I used to tell customers, I, I would get that a lot. People would say, okay, what's a trophy? 
you know, where they catch a fish and say, you know, is that a trophy? And, and obviously the trophy is in the eye of the beholder, but for most people that fish a 25 plus inch trout is undoubtedly something to mark down in their diary. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a very class fish. And I also tell people, listen, I've fished more days than most people would fish in three lifetimes. Yeah. And um, I mean, when I was fish guiding, I'd fish 200 days a year, and I still fish as regularly as work and everything will allow. And um, to this day, the largest speckled trout I've ever caught in length was 29 and three quarters. Now, some of that is because I've always been an upper coast guy. And as yep. you know, Same being here. largely upper coast guy, yeah, that you, not that, you know, there aren't some fish that are bigger than that and not that if you go to bath and you're guaranteed to catch a 30 incher um but you know that's you also got to consider where you are in terms of what a trophy is Mm -hmm. and um you know because um i remember once i had a customer catch a 31 inch trout in west galveston bay and it was about as thin as a rail yeah and he was curious if he should measure it and um and get a a mount made of it and but he was so disappointed in the weight and i remember telling him that literally has nothing to do with what a trophy is weight has no more to do with it than length does it's Mm -hmm. it's 100 percent what you perceive it and uh any trout can be a trophy i mean honestly i would suspect if you were to dig into the chemistry of me I would imagine one of my first trout that I probably caught with my dad as a little kid. I bet I was more excited about it than that 29 and three-quarter incher. Yeah, me too. It's so, funny because I was always reading uh, Sports of Field, Outdoor Life, and Saltwater Sportsman and stuff. So I had known at that point that, like, you know, the salmonoids are different than, you know, the speckled trout here on the Gulf Coast. But there was still this trout mm-hmm. thing in my head, and I couldn't go up – you know, to Colorado at that point. To me, Colorado was like going to China or somewhere, you know, to catch a <laughs> You know, when you're five or six. And uh, at that point in my life, they were still pulling nets in Sabine Lake. And so the trout numbers were way down in the early 80s and late 70s, you know. So when I caught my first, mm-hmm. like, 15, 16-inch trout, which was definitely legal back then, uh, I was ecstatic, you know. I was like, oh, my God, I, yeah. finally, I finally got a speckled trout. I said, it ain't a rainbow, but uh, we got a speck here because really our family was more centered on redfish at the time, you know. So that that was that was yeah. kind of my first introduction to really like you know these these speckled trout are all right, you know, and they're awesome and uh, they're great fish. And you talked about being a guide and all that, you know. We're entering a time of year here um, where between you know late January into March is a key time to catch those really really big fish. And uh, mm-hmm. why do you think that – why why is this year so – this part of the year so uh, important for anglers who are really seeking big fish? You know, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, and, and, and some of them also change between different years. You know, it yeah. depends on, you know, what the temperature is, where the fish are going to be. But a lot of times those bigger fish are around mud, um, no fish in general are around that mud. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of them are – reasonably bulked up i mean big old winter fish and then you start to get pre-spawn too you know so they're going to start to you know go into that mode and and i do think it's funny so i just talked about a few sort of patterns and it's something i write about a lot the other thing with big trout is you got to remember there's very defined patterns but there's also not 
Mm-hmm. And and I talk about it a bunch in, in It's More Than Fishing is that, you know, take your patterns, but break your patterns. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember many, many years ago, one of the largest stringers that I ever caught in my life, um, this is a long time ago, when the Baycliffe Spillway in Upper Galveston Bay was, was still there. And it was a warm water discharge. And you'd go in there and fish during winter mm-hmm. and, and catch some behemoth trout and some behemoth stringers of fish. And, um, and unfortunately, back then, we strung a lot of fish, which sure. we really shouldn't have. Trust me, after um, being late, we strung everything that was legal back then, okay? Yeah, so that, we never went over limits, but boy, the limits were really, really um, yeah. way too accommodated back then. But I, what I remember was, and, and the deal was then, this is a long time ago, you'd get live shrimp and you'd put them under a slip cork, like 14 feet under a slip cork, mm-hmm. and, and fish at night. And you'd catch these pigs, but... Um, I remember this night in particular, I literally was getting, I had like pinky sized shrimp. I mean, it was like eyeballs and whiskers looking up at me mm-hmm. and, um, but it was what I had. And those fish, it was fascinating because there were people fishing around me with, you know, big old elk sized mullet and, and hand sized menhaden and every other kind of bait you would expect during winter for a big trout to eat. And they wanted these little pinky sized shrimp. And, and and what it was was they were laying low and they were eating stuff that was getting blown by them. They didn't want yep. to chase anything. Yep. And so we also got to remember that, you know, there's so many things that factor into really putting together a pattern on a big fish. Um, it's interesting, but you are correct. This time of year is going to yield, particularly in some of those regions like, um, you know, like South Texas and Baffin. There's going to be some giant trout caught this month and next month, undoubtedly. Yeah, it's a great time of year. It's not the time of year for the guy who's just chasing birds and wants to catch some fish for the frying pan or have fun. It's for Good point. It's for hunkering down. You know, slowing down and trying to get those big fish. So, um, so what are you asked me a very similar question about redfish recently? Well, so what are Pat Murray's three top big trout lures? You know, um, probably. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is is an absolute just troublemaker of a bait. Is that is that original head and super spook, the mm-hmm. big one mm-hmm. in the Jimmy Houston pattern, which is that sort of clearish with chartreuse. Yep. Um, that thing, it is a troublemaker. It, it literally was built to hurt somebody. And, um, and it's rattle is, you know, literally like a child's rattle. It's so big and mm-hmm. it bangs. And one of the things I like the most is the way it sits in the water. Like a, a Spook Junior has a little more of a tilt, kind of like the old original Jumpin' Minnow. Yep. Um, this thing sits almost flat to the water, kind of like a ghost did. And, yeah, um, a classic ghost, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm dating myself and saying all these, but it's this. Doug Pike once told me my, my waiting box looked like a time capsule because it, <laughs> I really there's, there's a lot of great baits that people cycle out of and oh, yeah. don't use anymore. You know, and, and, and I think this super spook is one of them. People got so into every other bait. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you. Well, I love the way it sits. Huge profile. It's that rattle. And also you can just slow swagger it because its size is such, you know, it's really easy to walk. And, and here's one of the key things that I think people forget about topwaters in general, particularly big ones like that, is let that bait stop. It, it's... Mm-hmm. 
it's so funny. I used to watch that with customers. The minute they learn how to walk a bait, they'd never stop it again. It's just, <laughs> it was just a constant yeah. back, back and forth, back and forth. And there's times that's how they want it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's there's times you need to you need to do that retrieve. But man, there are a lot of times, particularly in cold water, you stop that bait, and um, and you'll get your strike. Then the other thing I honestly believe, and this is just my own conjecture. But how many times I've gotten bites, um, particularly if the water's just got a little bit of chop to it on that bait when it stopped? Because I think the water's still rattling it a little bit and rolling it, mm-hmm. and it looks like a you know you know how mullet look when they're kind of stunned, and you know the water and currents moving them as much as their fins are. Yeah, and I think it just makes it look more natural. Um, so that's probably my number one. Right behind that would be a corky. I mean, um, or I guess it's called a Paul Brown's original, but um, we used to call them corkies. Yeah. And um, that, and I'll tell you that corky, uh, the fat boy, you know, it's a little little broader profile, has almost a pinfish look to it. Um, God, that's a destroyer. Just such a good bait. I mean, yeah. such a good bait. Yeah, you know. Well, really- I got I, I, I got to turn it though. What's yours? You got you got to oh, name Lord. name your top two. All right, my top are um I like a skitter walk. Okay. All right, a skitter walk uh from Rapala. It's a great great lure. It has a certain cadence to it. Um and I have found I like that. Yeah. I have kind of found like you that when uh I'm able to stop it for a second, there is a little bit of that like after rattle, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like that about the lure. It's interesting you said that because most of my bigger trout that I've ever caught um, have been on a stopped topwater, you know, on topwater lures. They've been yep. when they're stopped. Um, and yep. especially this time of year going into about maybe early April, that tends to be a thing for me. And I just love that skitter walk. I love a lot of the patterns it comes in. Typical like bone color is a really good one. Um those, yeah, those yeah. kind of things, kind of like the old bone color ghost, you know, back in the day. Um, oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, number two is going to be one people are going to go, Chester, you're extremely lame. But uh, <laughs> this, one, <laughs> this one is awesome. So my friend Mark Davis is the host of Big Water Adventures on the Outdoors sure. channel. And I've known Mark. I met Mark in Mexico at a fishing lodge in 98. And he and I sat on a point And... Um, we caught a hundred bass in about a hundred cast on Carolina rigs wow. and being, this is just to give you a little bit of Mark's insight here, inspire me about this next one. I had caught my biggest bass ever that morning, just caught a hundred bass in one sitting. I said, I'm done. I'm going to chill out and enjoy. He goes, no one will ever believe we caught a hundred. I have to do 120. So I sat there for another 30 minutes while he caught another 20 bass, right? So <laughs> that's a true story from Mark Davis. We're sitting there after that's dark. Awesome. He's still catching him on a Carolina rig. But uh, Mark showed me the, the amazingness of fishing a popping cork, all right? It is the bomber saltwater grade popping cork with a plastic under it now uh he uses uses a plastic i like to use a gulp curl tail and Mm -hmm. it's uh that particular um that particular cork if you pop it just right sounds a lot like a trout feeding at the surface like a small trout feeding. oh yeah and you and i both know that big trout will eat small trout and eat sand trout 
uh, and oh, yeah. they like to know what's going on. And I have caught quite a few, I hadn't caught no 30 inch on it, but a lot of those like 22 to 25, 26 inch over the years with a gulp curl tail and smoke under that particular popping cork, even this time of year. So those are kind of, and I like that one because that's really easy to fish this time of year when the, when the wind is kind of ripping, you know? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, and it, it's funny too. There's a, there's, there is an optics component to that, which is always thrilling because anytime a cork disappears, there's no angler in the world. It can be a little red and white bobber, yeah. or it could be a big giant oversized chugging cork. There's something exciting about that as that, as that bite happens. And so that's kind of cool too. If you ever uh, stop wanting to see the red and white bobber going under, quit fishing. <laughs> Yeah, that's, a, that's a sign of near death. Yeah, you're an idiot. I mean, quit fishing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like something, something has happened to your brain. Go do something. Go do basket weaving or something, and quit fishing because you know you need to be sharing that water funny. with me, man. I mean, but uh, you know, this time of year, we're talking about this time of year so much, and you being an upper coast guy and me. How much do you think salinity plays in the location? Oh, it's big. big fish. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. It's big. Because, like, one of my favorite areas is the back of East Galveston Bay. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you can get odd salinity changes depending on rain and the water that comes out of Oyster Bayou mm-hmm. um, that can definitely throw you off. Now, the other thing, too, though, is I've been surprised in, you know, where there's times that it's almost like the water stratifies, where it's it's denser near the bottom and where that mud is. And sometimes it can be, you know, su- have a surprising lack of saline at the top and then still be super salty on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's one of those things where to some degree you got to also let your, your bait be your guide. You know, if there's a bunch of mullet or whatever you're seeing bait wise, that's in water that may not be as, as saline or even have the color that you want. Um, it doesn't mean there aren't fish there. Yeah. And the, um, I write a lot about myth busting and I was talking about it earlier with saying, you know, pattern or no pattern is you got to remember to bust your own myths. And, and maybe most importantly is identify them is the old proverbial trout green water has caused more people to not fish areas that were loaded with fish than probably any other thing out there. Hmm. And, you know, is trout green water great? Absolutely. It is. Have I caught a lot of fish in it? Of course. But, um, man, I've caught a lot of fish, and particularly some big ones, in some fairly um, smoky water. And, um, and and not just that, you know, sometimes you get that tea-colored water or, or even some of the, the challenges South Texas has with algal blooms. Um, but I remember periods where, and again, I'm getting a, a little bit granular here, but if you fish um, east in Trinity Bay, in the in Galveston Bay complex, you know this, is that I remember in some of the years when, Trinity Bay would really flood and it would shove a lot of trout and particularly big trout around Smith Point and onto Richard's Reef and Whitehead Reef mm-hmm. and, um, and wading the insides of them um, sometimes produced amazing fish that was in really milky looking water. Um, you know, same thing with Dollar Point. That was, that's another legendary spot when the upper end of the bay floods. And, um, and honestly, that is the spot where the largest string of trout I ever caught. Um, years ago when it was flooded, wading there, throwing Cordell Brokenbacks. Now, how about that for a, a bait we've forgotten? 
Absolutely. And, um, Cordell in general in, in our our coast, in, in Texas coast, I mean, that's something not, you not hear a whole lot about anymore just because of trends of change. But, uh, you know, that yeah. broken back is just is a killer. And, um, you know, oh, it's, a killer. it's a really, really great one. Uh, I've caught some trout on that as well. You mentioned these reefs and things like that. So being fishing a lot in Sabine, we have a big reef, the largest virgin oyster reef in America, pretty much at the uh, Mesquite Point in the south end of Sabine Lake. And the old thing for years has been if it floods, you fish the reef, it's deep down there. It's right by the channel going out to Sabine Pass. And especially on an incoming mm-hmm. tide, you'll catch some fish coming in and out. You fish deep. You know, you fish over that yeah. deep, deeper reef and get those fish. And I've, I've been out there before. As a matter of fact, the old standard, this is this is another one of those dating things, unfortunately, Pat, um, culprit worms. <laughs> Culprit, a wild uh, fire yeah. tiger, culprit worm for bass is the thing. And uh, as of a couple of years ago, I still, I, like I said, I archive all kind of crazy. So I have like musky lures and stuff in my trout box, you know. But uh, yeah, the, yeah. those things still catch fish. It's not like the fish got a memo. Hey, they're catching us on culprit um, in 1996. We can't <laughs> do it in 2016 or 2020, you know. So, um, but that is no, one of those really so true. Cool down in those reefs and stuff like that, you know, and that, that salt water coming in an influx of that. And like you said, it's a great point, not because you think there's floodwaters on top, but there may be some more saline water on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing I, I love that you, you hit there was, was non-conventional lures or old lures. And, you know, I do regularly carry a chrome black back Cordell broken back and mm-hmm. particularly this time of year, because those fish are eating big mullet. And you can work the bait really slowly. As a matter of fact, sometimes if you work it too much, it'll roll on you. And um, even though you can work aggressively too, that's a pretty decent pattern at times. But 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 also bridging into um, baits that are freshwater. And and again, it's a topic that if someone's read my stuff or follows my blog, has read me ranting about. But is saltwater fishermen, and in particular trout fishermen don't spend enough time browsing the bass aisles mm-hmm. because go take a look. If you go into whatever tackle store you love and, um, and go walk the aisles is go ahead and just dip into the bass folks. They, I'll be honest with you. They are more innovative than us. They, they are. are always oh. about 10 years ahead of us. Yep. Um, I, I think you and I've talked about it before. I mean, they were using trolling motors before us. They were using topwaters before us. They were using straight tail baits. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And um, and so spending a little time with that, and also, you know, you're a very, very renaissance fisherman. I mean, you bridge into everything. Yes. I've, I've said that many times. You're as comfortable fishing for a giant shark as you are for a crappie. Yep. And um, I think we all would benefit as anglers if we would explore more, you know, the hardcore dedicated trout guy or gal probably would benefit from spending a little time in a bass pond and, and just refining their art because truly fishing is an art. So the more experience and the more diversity of experience you have, the better you get. Well, you know, it's a lot of reasons. I grew up with lots of interest. I and mean, earlier we're talking about me being fascinated with like trout and streams and then speckled trout. Um, and another thing is, like one of my early mentors, Skip James, uh, you know, he spent many years working with the in fisherman guys up there. And mm-hmm. so when I met Skip, you know, he had a garage full of like, you know, musky lures and, 
and and walleye stuff. And um, so I started dialing in with that. And then um, I've been fishing for the last 20 years and hunting off and on in New York with friends of mine. Uh, my friend Lou Marullo, he writes for Texas Fish and Game. He lives up by Lake Ontario, and he lives by the Finger Lakes uh, region. And I've, I've caught brown trout and king salmon and smallmouth and pike up there. And I love going into, like, the local tackle shops and, like, going, hold on, this is really cool for this trip, but I bet I could catch a speck on that, you know. And, yeah. uh, and you mentioned that. One of the things that we learned to drift that reef with came from the walleye world. It's a Lindy no-snag slip sinker. And um, hmm. it's made drifting those big muscle reefs on the Great Lakes and stuff, and will help. How you, interesting! Will help you drift if you have to drift over oyster without getting snagged as much. And we would rig that hmm. uh, culprit curl tail there, that culprit uh, worm, and wildfire tiger only. And um, that thing would it would really help us in not losing as much and getting good a good drift on it. Kind of planed out good when you tr if you trolled it a little bit. I mean, just a little bit of trolling with a trolling motor, you know moving it along in there. Mm -hmm. So just some of those different technologies and things like that. Cause you mentioned they're far ahead of the game. Most you and I both know most of the fishing industry in terms of innovations based in the Northeast, the companies and in the, in, yeah. the, in the Midwest. So it kind of filters down to the South, you know, and I think trout, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's it. trout are perfect for it because of uh, that X factor. And a lot of these Northern fish, like a, like a, like a muskie or a, a walleye or a very aloof fish, a lot of little, finesse things that going on and, we, and we've mentioned you know i've been hearing the word slow 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 in our conversation have you ever done like dead sticking for trout like just throw in a spot and let a plastic sit and let it sit and maybe just vibrate it with your hand a little bit and then move it an inch or two i really haven't but it's funny um and i've seen that done a lot with redfish particularly once the advent of gulp came along is yeah, yeah. not you know of, of helping with scent i can only imagine there's certain times that could be wildly effective and and, mm -hmm. and and maybe even the reference i had earlier that bay cliff spillway you know that type of fish might have responded really well to a lure um, doing that yeah it's something i've done for bass you know uh, obviously fishing bass on beds uh i bass fish so much because mm -hmm. i live by some private ponds that i get to fish all the time so literally three times a week i'm out there throwing a fly rod or throwing a little ultralight spinner rod or something bass fishing and See, that's but that's gonna make you better. Yeah, it's oh yeah, that's bass fishing's changed my fishing altogether. Like I'm a much yeah. better fisherman, you know. Yeah, and that's and the, and the thing people have to remember too is even okay. So you say, well, Kylie, you know, I now one thing I will say is you're almost always close to access to a bass. That's the reason it's such a popular recreational fish because you can catch them everywhere. Um, well, I mean, it's cool fish too, but it's but it's really accessible. Um, but even if you can't, let's say you don't have access somehow to any bass fishing, is you sure as heck can watch a bass fishing show on YouTube or on conventional TV. Um, there's ways to get insight. And if you're just a total fishing nut like us, um, go pick up a bass fishing magazine and mm -hmm. flip through it. Yeah. And um, why not? You know, again, if you're if you're trying to improve yourself and improve your game, you're going to pick stuff off. And um, and I mean, I guarantee you, there are two or three of the next best trout lures that right now are hanging on a shelf in a in a tackle store, and uh, and it's in the freshwater section, and we don't know it. That's going to um, be the jump out quote of this podcast, by the way. And now everybody's going to get the section of the tackle store, but it's true. It's absolutely it's true. true. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's true. And and I'm glad you mentioned walleye. It's funny. I got onto this bait 
Um, James Plogg, who's a, is a very long-time veteran guide in oh, the yeah. Galveston Bay Complex, and um, and a really one heck of a fisherman, um, turned me on to this bait, a little boss. It's a bass assassin. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of digressing from big trout. I, I'm sure you can catch big trout on it. Um, but I, um, I, uh, I catch more fish with that bait. And he turned me on to it. Uh, I think, 100% think, it was designed for walleye fishing. And it's a, it's a little paddle tail. It looks like an old man's grub, kind of the way it's got little rings around it, or even, you know, uh, a, a bass worm. And um, it's a destroyer, particularly this time of year. And what's weird, a lot of times you're straight reeling it. If you jig it, no bites. Um, which I think all these things we just talked about, be it dead sticking or straight reel in a bait or whatever it may be, all of those are a little bit of breaks from convention. You know, those are little different things to do because, again, how many times do you see somebody, um, you know, they they tie a jig on and they go to jigging it and they jig it and jig it and jig it and then they recast and jig it and jig it and, jig it and they don't ever stop it or they don't ever, you know, do different things with it just like we were talking about the top water is um, forever changing your approach will forever keep improving your fishing. And and we're really bad about that, probably in everything in life. But, sure. but particularly fishing is really, really, really loaded with this pattern that we get into where we go treat every fishing trip like we're, you know, delivering milk. It's just like you go to the same stops, you put the same stuff down, you finish your day, check your box, and off you go. And I think the more people will expand their mind – it's kind of like cuisine, the more fun they'll have. Now, they're going to have some dead trips. You know, again, I'll keep the cuisine metaphor. You're going to have some bad meals. Yeah, probably. Um, but in the end, you're going to ultimately have a much better experience and probably become much more refined in your art. Absolutely. Going back, circling back to that dead sticking thing, that's one of those examples. Like, I've done it with bass, and I've done it with trout a time or two uh, when I was fishing schools of birds in a boat. And I put a bigger jig head on instead of feeling like a, you know, an eighth ounce or a quarter ounce, put a half ounce on and throw that out there and let it hit the bottom past everybody else and just kind of let it sit. And, uh, you know, cause there are times funny. and, and, and I've caught bigger trout in the schools doing that before, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah that's interesting. That's a funny point. You know, it's funny. It, I don't know why this took me back to, uh, thousand years ago when my brother and I would fish on party boats to fish offshore because we I, I was I was blessed to grow up with um, around bay boats so we, we did lots of bay fishing but um, we didn't do so much offshore and so really our voyages offshore were largely going on kingfish boats mm-hmm. and um, and it was funny that my brother who doesn't even fish anymore stumbled up on the right pattern which was you know the captain would say okay everyone you know lower your ribbon fish or whatever cigar minnow, whatever we're using. And then he would tell everyone when you stop, you know, lower it to this and then stop. Okay. And my brother would keep going and keep going and keep going and then stop. Yeah. And I mean, he would regularly, and of course, you know, I was his little brother, so he didn't tell me for like three trips what he was doing. And, um, but he was, he'd outfish me every time. He'd outfish everybody. And, uh, and he'd catch, different stuff and so i think the same concept applies to exactly what you said in that bird scenario is that you know again it's getting out of the pattern but it's also getting maybe outside of the feed itself because the bigger fish may not want to be in you know a melee like that so i think that's a valid point 
Yeah, it's not like I go out every time and do that, but the times that I've done it, you know, it's been pretty effective. You know, and that's one of those things you mentioned, experimenting, all of those kind of things. You know, we talked about the X factor in trout. Uh, redfish are known to be very spooky in shallow water. You know, the thin stuff, the skinny water where you're seeing them telling, you know, don't drop the tackle box, don't make too many steps, do this. How much do you think sound impacts trophy trout? Oh, I think it definitely does. Um, it definitely does. You know, it's that particular fish um, didn't get that big from being dumb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, particularly this day and age, my goodness, you catch a fish that's, you know, let's just sort of peg it in the middle of like a 27-inch trout, which is just one heck of a fish. Mm-hmm. And um, you catch a 27-inch fish, um, I don't know its age, um, and I think it can even vary some. Um, but I can tell you it went through a lot. And maybe not the days of gill nets, but a lot of angling pressure, um, plenty of potential for predation. Um, and again, depending on what, you know, what part of the coast it's on, it might get exposed to a lot of things that could really hurt it. Mm-hmm. And so that fish has seen a lot, has eaten a lot, and is going to be sensitive to its surroundings, um, undoubtedly. And, and, and I think you hit the, the nail on the head talking about um, in shallow water and in clear water, there's no doubt they're wildly spooky. Um, I think you get a little bit of grace if you're, you know, let's say you're wading a, a mud and grass cove in West Galveston Bay right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think the, the bottom and the depth, um, the bottom structure and the depth make a difference. You know, I, um, I saw it again, particularly with, with sometimes fishing with a group with customers that you go crunching across a bunch of shell and you can, I mean, just that can scatter fish. Um, and, um, but mud's very forgiving. And so a lot of times I think, particularly in the region I'm talking about fishing, which is the upper coast, you probably have less chance of spooking them than you would, let's say, you know, fishing a flat in Mansfield right now. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I wrote an article uh, a few years ago called Weird Trout Harbingers. Just things that people have shared that kind of lead to trout. Of course, we know that the simple trout harbinger is birds, right? You see some gull diving, probably a school of trout or redfish. People all know that one. Uh, We know about slicks, you know, uh, which are when they, you know, burp up the menhaden oil that they've, you know, just eaten a shad or whatever, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Do you have any unusual things that you've noticed or maybe like, oh, if I go into this area and I see this? I'm going to catch a big trout today, or there might be some nice trout around. You know, um, that's a great question, by the way. Um, probably one that people should ask of themselves more and and of others. Um, you know, the first one that comes to mind isn't that unusual, but it's worth pointing out because a couple of them come to mind. But this one is is a, a pelican on a shoreline, okay. um, particularly this time of year. That may be all you need. Um, you see a pelican or two. The, and particularly if you can tell they're hunting, and I don't mean diving necessarily. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Sure. But when they're up just sort of patrolling a shoreline, and then you can tell when they're about to eat something. They're, they put their head down real low. They have that super mm-hmm. ability to kind of almost like a low rider. They can just make themselves real flat. And um, and that means they are dialing in on something. <laughs> and usually that something is a mullet or something that a trout would probably want to. So um, that, I will tell you too, like, um, and this is something that was a huge pattern in West Galveston Bay, but plays out everywhere, is seeing a loon or a cormorant. Um, 
a diver bird, if there's one or two of them and they're staying in an area, I promise you there's some some minnows of some sort. There's some sort of smaller bait. Um, that's uh, there's been many a day that we have caught lots and lots of fish, and that's all we saw was literally a you know some sort of a diving bird. And then once we got the pattern, and let's say it was drift fishing, um, the bird may go away, but the fish didn't. Um, so I think that's also important to remember, particularly during winter. Um, probably the most non-conventional one. And my longtime mentor and friend, the late David Wright, um, had made me aware of this. Um, and, and it played out in a number of places. I particularly saw it in East Bay. But you'd get those, um, you know, needlefish. Yes, and, absolutely. You know, the, the, I mean, it was amazing how many times when we'd catch, and back then in particular, when he and I were fishing, there were plenty of days that you'd catch a lot of five and seven pound trout and an occasional real pig back there. Um, and almost invariably you would see needlefish. So clearly they were eating those. Um, so much so there was a bait, there was a needlefish bait that, um, and you'll probably know you're, you're far better at knowing lures, particularly older ones than I am. I can't remember if bomber made it or Hedden made it, who made it. It was a big. It was from the East Coast. It was from the East Coast. It was a big because that's a thing over there for stripers too. Uh, yeah, it was like a walking bait. It was a yeah. big old stick bait. Yeah. And um, but I remember getting one of those to try to emulate it. I'm honest with you. I'm just dead up honest. I never caught a fish on it. Um, but we I probably that was sluggos for them back in the day. It's a bass. Okay, okay. You know, because you can get a longer sluggo, which was back in the day, and it you, you get it in like the clear with a silver glitter. And uh, huh. it looked a lot like, because we would see them, we saw two different patterns on Sabine on the reef. This is a little bit later. We're talking like April, May for us to up here. And we would see the big ribbon fish, like the ones you could go catch on a lure. Uh, if you saw mm-hmm. a lot of them, we'd catch ribbon fish. If you saw the smaller ones getting kicked out of the water, there were trout every time. And they were eating them for sure. Yeah, interesting. You know? So that's, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's Somebody else has caught them on a ribbon fish. I don't feel weird anymore. <laughs> it's funny though it's it is i i think we probably try to put a trout's diet in a box too much mm-hmm. um or maybe it's this as as a species we're bad about identifying things within our context and our frame of reference sure. and what they may perceive i mean you know the perfect example was the the 51 m hp mirror lure that is the silliest looking thing it looks like a child toy or something that someone would attach to their backpack. I mean, it's a pink and and back and belly silver-sided mirror lure that to this day crushes trout. Mm-hmm. And um, it looks to have no action. It has more trouble hooks hanging off of it than a store shelf. And, um, and it's a destroyer. And so why those fish think that means anything, I have no clue, but it probably reminds us um, – to not try to put everything in our our little world, what we think a bullet looks like, you know. You know, absolutely, you know, and the harbinger that got me interested in this phenomenon was a guy uh, told me probably 20 years ago, he was going on the Louisiana shoreline of Sabine Lake in the winter and some of these canals, because most of those canals, there's bayous, but there's some man-made canals as well. And he was going to some of the deeper ones with deeper water and catching some big trout. And he said the trout were right next to alligator garfish, right, right on the gar. And 
um, the gar were just laying there. And gar are very inactive in the winter anyway. And sure enough, going those canals, there are trout at times around gar. And I've talked to a lot of anglers over the years just picking their brain and say, hey, I went into the dredge hole or I went here and he caught good trout. Did you see gar? Oh, yeah, there was some big gar just laying around. You could see them, and every once in a while they take a gulp. And so <clears throat> this is a weird one. You know, so there's always something, and I think a lot of it's localized as well. I mean, what fits here may not fit over there, and I think it's always great to make note of that. Another one for me is sound. On a quiet morning, when you're able to work those topwaters, and there's some action out there, they're hitting the mullet, that kind of stuff, that magic morning. Mm-hmm. If I hear a slurp, now, this is going to sound weird, a slurping sound versus the traditional popping sound. I typically know the slurping sound is a bigger fish because... Yeah, I, I can go with that. You know, yeah. that's something I kind of hear. I'm like, oh, oh, that just kind of gets my attention better, you know, because usually they'll slurp the lure under more than they will attack it from the top like a little, you know, a 15, 16-inch mm-hmm. trout would, you know. Yeah, and that's really not that. When a big old trout comes up and just absolutely flushes your top water. That, mm-hmm. that is undoubtedly the thing that makes you just become wildly wildly addicted to this because that's that's such an exciting moment and and again it brings you to the magic of that fish and particularly the larger you know the larger developments of that fish are just cool and um you know it's funny so the other day uh, this is actually recently it was a couple weekends ago i was fishing um with my dear friend dr greg stuns and um we were fishing port aransas and we're on it the tide it dropped dramatically and so pretty classic you know um port aransas rock porty type um pattern you know that these you know things will the flats will dump out and you can go catch a bunch of redfish in certain areas Mm -hmm. and so we're whacking away at the redfish and really having fun and and releasing them and so i'm throwing at that time i was throwing a jig i'm throwing a um a bass assassin um with a uh, like one of their paddle tails and pumpkin seed and a super light head a 16th ounce head and get a thump set the hook on it and i'm kind of cranking it in because it's it's these redfish were sort of that 22 range you know just really nice fish and so I'm trying to hustle him in um, to get him off and then also to keep fishing. And I get that, and the water is pretty dirty. So I get the fish close to me, and all of a sudden I see it's a trout. Wow. It was a 26 inch trout. Hello. And which, you know, yeah, I haven't really been catching a lot of big trout of late. It's been more redfish. And so that looked like about a 46 inch trout. You know, we haven't seen one in a while. <laughs> you know, and it looked like this big cat head coming at me. And it was funny as we're having this conversation, I, I, I hadn't reflected on it, how my whole demeanor changed. I, I mean, I literally turned into some like ballet artist. I'm backing my drag off. I'm stepping backward. I'm tiptoeing around. Um, like I just lost my mind cause I'm trying to get that fish away from me and let it play out a little bit. And I'm surely not going to keep it, but it's like, I so want to get my hand on that fish that I turned myself inside out and, and, and did land it. But it's funny, the, it gets back to what you started with. The, the allure of a large trout is just a magical thing. It really is. It's a beautiful thing. It's that pursuit. I always tell people, look, just when you go fishing, you catch fish, have fun that you're catching fish. Or lo- getting to fish yeah. and hunt 
recreationally is a treat that most people in the world don't get to do. So anytime we're out yeah, there, great it's point. a blessing from the Lord to get to go out in the water and enjoy all this. But to, to take that challenge to a next level, when, when you get that fish, it makes you kind of makes you a kid again. You're going through all this ridiculous scientific thoughts in your mind, and we got to rattle it just like this, and we got to get this kind of line and do that. But when you're right, when you get the big fish come up, you're five again. You know what I mean? You know? <laughs> That's exactly it. It's, I mean, it was a comical, the reaction I had. And you know, it's funny. It really gets down to it. Probably if someone were to say, what is the best tip to go catch a big trout? What's the number one thing that increases your odds to catch a big trout is to go fish. There you go. It's that simple. And I mean, you kind of just touched on it was that so many people don't get an opportunity to go fish. And, and even if you only get to fish three times a year or one time a year, whatever, is going fishing and maybe even making the resolution in 2021 that you're going to fish more. Absolutely. And, you know, and maybe you're not in an area where you can get to the bay all the time, but maybe you do have access to a community pond or a golf course pond or whatever it may be, where you can at least improve your art. Um, to the time when you end up on the coast that you're, you are more adept. You've, you know, you've mastered some lures, you've mastered some, some different techniques that maybe you used in that setting. And then, and then just try to go more. I mean, you know, the people who catch the most big trout go more than most people. You know? That's the tip. So, uh, I had a guy message me and, and he sent me this, uh, link on Facebook where this guy was like bragging every day these giant trout he caught and he's fishing every day and he's like I'm frustrated because I can't catch a big trout I said this guy's got a trust fund or something he's not working he's <laughs> this guy's going every day if you're going every day you're a guide or you've got a little bank and most of us that have to go work a nine to five job or something like that just enjoy the time you go but pick up on some of these tips yeah. like you shared with us today to make those moments that you do have to kind of expand your fishing better because you know Many times I talk about in the story the beautiful sunrise and you watch it over the marsh and all that's great. But at the end of the day, I'm going out there to catch a fish. And there are times when you're able to go, you know what, I don't just want to catch a fish. I want to catch a really big one. And whether that's, you, mm -hmm. know, you know, whether that's pursuit of Moby Dick or whether that's the mm -hmm. pursuit of that big elusive trout you've never caught, there can be great joy in that. There can be great pursuit. It can be transgenerational, you know, bringing family into yeah. it and have an amazing yeah. time catching one of the most aloof fish on the Gulf Coast. I've always said that snook are snooty, and uh, I do believe there's a little snootiness to the big trophy speckled trout, and that makes them a little harder to catch on a lot of other fish, but that's what keeps us going. Oh, I agree, 100%. 100%. It's, I mean, like I say, there's... If it'll make you dance around like you're a five-year-old on Christmas, which <laughs> clearly even a 26-incher that surprised me did, um, it's that's something special. Well, we're going to have to do this again. We appreciate you being on the very first edition of Higher Calling Gulf Coast. Don't forget, Pat is the author of two awesome fishing books, uh, Pat Murray's No Nonsense Guide to Coastal Fishing and his new book, a great book, by the way, It's More Than Fishing, The Art of Texas Trout and Redfish Angling by Patrick Murray. Awesome stuff, Pat. Man, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm honored to be on the first one of these. Um, you always do such an amazing job, be it be a radio or podcast or writing. And so uh, it's an honor and a privilege always to have a conversation like this. Well, thank you, man. You know, I love you, Pat. And, like, you know, I appreciate what you do through CCA. And as well, you know, uh, really a hallmark of this program is going to be the conservation ethic of this. You know, we're going to have conservation section on every single show. 
and try to inspire people in 2021. Hey, it's scary out there, folks. We're not gonna we're not gonna BS you here, but there's great Pat recommended fishing more. We're gonna recommend ways that you can help contribute to keep the things that you love out there in our bays and our Gulf of Mexico going for the next generation. So thank you, Pat. Thanks for being love on it. Higher Calling Gulf Coast. You've been listening to Higher Calling Gulf Coast with award-winning wildlife journalist and conservationist, Chester Moore. Email him at chester at chestermoore.com. Check out his wildlife writings at highercalling.net and find him at dchestermoore on Instagram.